got your Bibles, uh, if you could join me in Psalms chapter 51. Um, I, I've really enjoyed this series. Um, and there's been so much that we have discussed. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to Pastor Garrison's message last week, I just thought that that was one of the best messages I've heard him preach. Um, there's just so much authenticity, clarity. Um, I thought he just did a really good job. Um, but all of it, in my opinion, is cascading to what we're going to talk, what we're going to speak about tonight, God's mercy. Um, we live in a world where there is a deficiency of mercy. Um, there is a longing for it, desperation to find it, and yet no one knows where to look. There's a lot of judgment, no mercy. And what we're going to talk about tonight is, gonna, is going to be both awe and wonder. It's going to be overwhelming what we're going to read, yet at the same time, what we're going to find uh, is the face of Jesus central to the hope that we have of having a, a mercy that is never stopping, never giving up, and unbreaking. In Psalms chapter 51, this is what it says. To the choir master of a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood, blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not please be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would allow for this sweet incense of your Holy Spirit 
to mark us right now and awaken to us both with fear and trembling, with amazement, with a broken heart. Will you allow us to experience your mercy freshly tonight? Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in awakening our hearts to see you freshly, to see our sin with clarity, but to turn to you with boldness and courage. But we honor you in your name we pray. Amen. I want to uh, give this a title of, of uh, just the focus of mercy, a costly covering, a costly covering. Where can mercy be found and how deep does that mercy go? I think this is the question that is uh, bubbling up in the hearts of humanity and has been the primary question from the very beginning. It's been a burgeoning question. And what we find to answer this question, what God does is he doesn't give us a speech. He doesn't give us an idea. He doesn't give us a book to read. He points us to a place specifically in the Old Testament. It's called the mercy seat. What we find in the Old Testament is that it is one story of man's commitment to rebel against God and God's commitment to be with his people. If, if you were to ask me, Corey, what is, explain the Bible in less than 10 words, it would be God with us, giving life, even in, in our mess. And what we find in, in this storyline of the Old Testament is that in the midst of man's rebellion, that God has now a place to uh, interact with humanity uh, and to give humanity what they need and long for. And the only way by which they can have a relationship with himself, he, he gives them mercy at this space called the mercy seat. It's, it, it is uh, 45 inches long. It's 25 in inches wide. Um, it has legs and rings. Uh, it's carrying poles overlaid with gold. This mercy seat uh, isn't just called a mercy seat in the Old Testament. The primary title was called a mercy covering. And this is the place that, that God, he met with his people, represented the covenant that he made through the Ten Commandments. It represented the very space that, that mankind could now really, they could attain uh, atonement because this was the space where uh, offerings were made. This was where God met with humanity at the mercy seat. Um, it was the, the, the location of God's presence. In fact, at the top, you'll notice that there's two cherubims. Um, they are facing each other. Um, this was uh, a representation of, of God's commitment to guard his presence. You see, in Genesis 3, mankind turns his back on God, says, I can do it better my own way, and, and as a result, loses everything. But in doing that, what happens, God puts two cherubims, two guardians, to, because the presence of God was that vital, it was that important, it was that precious, 
that no one could now enter in. Only a perfect person could enter into God's perfect land. And so, so here, here we, we have this space, this, this cherubim that is, is so vital to, to now uh, understanding where mercy comes from. What we find, too, is that, that this is this unique kind of a collision of covenant love combined with covering. What, what we find in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, is that God really unpacks what this really looks like in regards to both covenant and now covering when he says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This was in Hebraic understanding. This was called the 13 attributes of mercy. In one verse, they understand mercy and with every word counting as now a declaration of who God is as it pertains to his mercy. This word rockum that we find when it comes to viewing God's his mercy, it's, it means compassion. It's tender mercy. It's pity. It comes from a root word uh, that has to do with the womb. Connotates the love elicited by a helpless baby from a mother or father. This, this is it, it's now we're, we're we're beginning to step into this this commitment that God has to now wrap Himself around us with a a covenant of mercy, a covering that he knows the sin, he knows the impact of that sin, and yet even in spite of the sin, we have a God who's made a way. That this, this place of, of, the, of the mercy seat is, is a declaration of hope that even though you don't deserve me, I am making room for you. That, that what we have in the mercy seat is, it is a resounding sound of, of now we, we have, in spite of ourselves, we are coming to a God who is more committed to me than I am of him. But see, connected to this idea of mercy, following mercy, we have this understanding of covenantal love. You see, this verse that I just read says that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast love. Steadfast love. This is a really important word. It's a covenantal word. Has said. It is expressing the character and the nature of God, but it's impossible to define. There's no way to do it. I mean, I, I could try to say that it's, it's linked to God's compassion. It's linked to his graciousness. It's linked to his willingness to forgive wrongdoing, but that doesn't do it justice. It's like me going to Cape Town, South Africa, and seeing the beauty and the majesty and the collision of Tabletop Mountain with the most gorgeous um, Indian Ocean. I mean, just the collision of these two. And I come back to my wife and she says, well, what was it like? Has said, There's, I have no words. It's like going to St. John's with my wife having the backdrop of a beautiful beach with her and just speechless. It's like the, the, the reality of a, of a steel chainsaw in my hands going through wood and just the chips flying. It just, it's has said. It's, there's no words. 
There's no words. What, what we have in this unpacking of, of God who is, who is un, he's, he's bringing us into this reality that we have a mercy available connected to a covenantal love that now these two are, are colliding in this reality that he is offering himself to us, covering us in spite of ourselves. That that is God's commitment to cover no matter what. That no matter how deep the sin goes, and we understand that to a certain degree, but we're going to look at a moment in time where we wonder, does God's said love combined with his mercy, is it really big enough to cover that? Is it really big enough? And when you think of this whole idea of, of understanding his said love, nobody says it better like Michael Card when he says this. When the person I have the right to expect nothing from gives me everything. That's his said. That, that is this understanding of, of mercy that you are receiving what you do not deserve and there is nothing that is going to stop that one from giving it to you. It reminds me of the time life picture of 1996. It was June 22nd. Keisha Thomas finds herself in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And she is there opposing a KKK rally. And she's minding her business. She's 18. And there's a gentleman who wanders into a space of this rally that he wasn't supposed to be in. He's got an SS tattoo, stars and bars shirt. And he is surrounded by people. And they knock him down. And they go to attack him. Out of nowhere comes Keisha Thomas. And she does the unthinkable. She literally takes her life and covers him. She covers him. She absorbs the blows and turns around and starts to yell to save this man's life. This is a man who is her enemy, who hates her. And she is giving up her life for her enemy by any means necessary. It is a covering that is committed. It is a covering that is full and complete. It is a covering that saved his life. This is the mercy that God has given to us, proven in the mercy seat. His commitment to cover you. His commitment to cover you by any means necessary. His commitment to, to look at you and say that no matter the sin, no matter the deep, the depth of the roots of that sin, no matter how long it has gone and how far it goes, there is a covering that God himself proven in, his, in, in, this, this res, in this resurrected space called the mercy seat that he is looking at his people and saying, I am committed to you. It is a costly covering. I want you to think about this. I want you to, to think, to consider what would it look like to breathe the air of mercy, to allow for the presence of God to cover you in a new way. 
to open up your heart to be able to acknowledge spaces that you have been guarding and protecting him and ultimately people from for a long time. What, would, what does it look like to be covered by costly covering? What does it look like for the mercy of God to absorb? What we find is that in spite of the very person who should be aware of and should be running to this covering David, who's a king, the very one who should be absorbing this covering and rushing to it and be close to it. What we find in Psalms 51 is that um, the greatest opposition and what tries to block us from the mercy of God is sin and self. And we find that in David... uh, he has, um, he, he, he has not a lapse, he has a full-out rebellion. We, we find what that is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is what it says. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house when he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and, and one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him. And he lay with her. She had been purifying herself from uncleanness. And she returned to her house. The woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Powerfully written. Clearly laid out. What David does in this moment is stunning. He violates a woman taking away her agency. She has no consent. It's a man with power taking another man's wife. This is a man who would go on to create a very systematic strategy through deceit to murder Uriah. And then layered upon that, layer upon layer upon layer is lie after lie after lie after lie. You've got infidelity. You've got rape. You've got murder. And then a baby is born and that baby dies. The intensity of of David in this moment to to now work to try to cover himself. You see, we will either be covered by mercy or we're gonna cover ourselves. There's no other way. We're either gonna run to and be absorbed by and rush to the presence of God that is now built on covenant, established by covering, now undergirded by the presence of God. We're going to run to that and be defined by that or what we're gonna do is we're gonna find ways to cover ourselves. And what we find in David's covering is it's a costly covering. That no matter the space, no matter the location, wherever you go, it is going to cost 
It's either going to cost God or it's going to cost you. And what we have here with David is that he rushes to figure out a unique strategy. He, 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 he um, creates now a, a moment where Uriah, he comes back. Um, he uh, will not lay with his wife. David tries to get him drunk. Does not matter. The man is faithful. The man is committed. The man is, he, he, is, he sees my men are at war. I will not enjoy the spoils of, of being at home. David goes on to give him a letter. And Uriah, imagine this, Uriah actually delivers the letter to Joab, who now puts him into a space, all of the men back out, and this man is murdered. He's murdered. But see, this is not the first time that we find this idea of mankind building a, a space, almost a city of self-preservation. You see, what David is doing is he is covering himself, working so hard so that no one will see the fraud that he is. And he self-preserves. And we find this, this is exactly what happens with Cain and Abel. With Cain, he kills his brother. What does he do? He, he goes and he builds a city. It's, it's called Enoch. And in this city, he builds his own culture. He builds defenses. He builds systems. He builds a city around them to fend off the threat of being exposed as fragile. It's that what the human heart does is that we will either run to be covered by the Spirit of God that now unleashes all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the fear, or we will hide it and we'll cover ourselves. David, he creates a false self. Fashioned in his own covering, formed in his attempt to self-preserve. I love what Robert Mulholland, he says, the false self is a self-preferential system. It, it, it competes out of fear for self-preservation. It manipulates everything for itself. This radically unrooted and insecure self is self-promoting, indulgent, must distinguishes itself from others. This bleeds out into the world and creates competing and complex matrices of fear, self-preservation, and manipulation. This results in the disintegration of self-destruction of others and demands a deconstruction, a deconstruction of the sacred order. You see, what happens with David is that when he covers himself, he literally deconstructs the world that he's in. It costs him, his, his child, he kills a man. Is that he, he decreates. You see, as a king, his job was to create, was to cultivate, was to embody the heart of God in his role as a king. And everything that he does in this moment, because he refuses to be covered by God, he covers himself and he decreates his world. He literally causes it to crumble, to implode. Is that you have, and, and really, I think when we think about where we are in our society, we live in a world that now encourages you to cover yourself, to cre create a brand, to work on your social media, just do everything that you can so people see the you that you want them to see. And yet what we have in the, in the kingdom of God is we now have an invitation from Jesus himself, costing him his life, being the, a, a true and better Keisha Thomas, 
who now rushes into our humanity. And what he does is he throws himself on our enemies so that we now could now come back to the one we were made for through the son, now restoring relationship with the father so we don't have to hide. We don't have to hide. I wonder where you are tonight. You, there's spaces in your heart that, that are, that are being, that you're, you're seeing there's a deconstruction in some spaces with my relationships and my workplace. I, I feel like there's things that are falling apart. Everything I'm, I'm touching, it's just, it's not coming to life. It's, it's the opposite. And then you, you, you take, take a step back and consider, God, where am I hiding? What are you doing to try to lead me out from a space of hiding into the free oxygen mercy. What we have with, with David is that, and I mean, even like you, you, you look at the impact when he, when, when he works to hide, when he works to cover, when he, when he rushes away from the covering of mercy into his own covering. I mean, Psalms chapter 32, verse four, this is what it says. My bones waste away. I'm groaning all day long. Psalms 31, 10, I'm dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. Do you know what happens when you cover yourself? When your whole world is about covering the, the chaos, it is draining, it is exhausting, it's overwhelming, it's emotionally taxing. Is that you begin to find that your relationships there, man, you're just sucking the life out of everywhere that you're going. Why? Because could it be that you're covering could it be that God is, is now creating an environment to lead you to mercy? This is what happens with David is that you have this, this intense commitment from God to now allow for mercy to captivate and capture David. He sends Nathan. He sends, I mean, he goes so far as to send a prophet. I mean, David has gotten away with it. He's good. And Nathan the prophet comes up and says, there was a lamb. And this man, this dude who had everything, killed the young guy who had nothing except for that little lamb. He killed that lamb. What do you do, king? And David rises up. May the Lord cause me to, to bring judgment. And then Nathan says, you are the man. You are the man. And instantly what happens when he is... He, he, all of the guilt, all of the shame, everything falls on him in one moment. And yet what, what David says is this. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. In a moment, he comes, goes from his own covering to a covering that is free, it's full, it's forever, but it is costly. I mean, just imagine being Uriah's dad. And you hear about a God who wants to forgive like that. That's my son. Like, if you don't, if this doesn't hit you like that, you won't appreciate and run to and be amazed by the cost of what it takes to forgive us like that. But just, just, just to think about what would it, what it would have been like to be the brother of Bathsheba. 
seeing all of this by one man who's deconstructing everything that he touches. And yet he falls on this mercy. And here we find Psalms 51. And he says, I mean, if, if the power of a cover-up and our own covering can create a, an exhaustion and it rips away our strength and it taxes us at every level and it's like it slashes our tires. If that's what covering does to us, what does it look like for us to run to and be impacted by God's mercy? And the whole psalm is just one step, one beautiful unlocking of God's mercy in your life and in my life. He starts with, he says, cleanse me. Purge me with hyssop. The idea of hyssop, it was what a priest had. Only a priest. Like what a priest would do, he would dip blood, go into a house that has had some type of a, of, of a disease, and he would go in and he would dab blood and go in and, and would, would, would dab all of the walls. Because in doing that, what he's saying is that, that this place that was unclean and would create death as a result of hyssop dipped in blood will now create life. What David's saying is he's saying, there's no priest on this earth that can change me. I need you to be my priest. God, you've got to take the hyssop of your presence and your sacrifice, and you've got to take this poisonous house, and you've got to make it clean. He says, cleanse me. He said, nothing can, nothing can change me, God. The problem is way deeper than just a woman and a bath, and a lie. It's way. Notice that in this psalm, not one time do you have any type of acknowledgement of murder, or of sin, or, I mean, sorry, of, of, of sexual activity. There's nothing in here about that. Why? Because the, the problem is so much deeper. And David realizes that he's going, God, you've got to cleanse me. And he, he acknowledges the the only way by which he is cleansed is through the presence and the power of a God who has created a way to, to do that, but then he's cooperating with it. He's like, God, I give you permission. And then he says, create in me a clean heart. Everything that David has done, is everything that he's touched, he's decreated. He's decreated human relationships. He's decreated human life. He's decreated human decency. And yet what he does is he says, God, barah, create in me a new heart. That word barah is used in Genesis 1. It's the old, whenever barah is used, it's only used by God. Because the type of creation that's being done is a type of, of creation that only God can do. And he's saying, the only way I can have a new heart. The only way I can look at the future, look at myself, look at my relationship, the only way I can be a different human being is if you barah me, you create in me. It's a full, complete surrender of going, God, not only cleanse me, create. Create. Form in me. I'm broken. I am, I'm absolutely, I'm twisted. My passions are wrong. I mean, this is a moment of ownership that this man has of his own life. This is a defining moment. And then he says, man, not just barah, don't not just create, but then what he does is he confesses. I mean, there's a commitment to confession that this man, he owns the power of sin. He owns the impact of sin. He owns the relentless nature of that sin. I mean, even from the big, he says, 
that, that, um, that before I was created, man, sin lived in me. Never downplays it. He never minimizes it. You see, when I'm blamed for something, I instantly give excuses on why I did what I did. Corey, you said this. Oh, I, I was hungry. <laughs> but dad, you know, you were speeding. Well, it was because I was late for church. Like, I mean, the, the, everything that happens in life, we instantly create 10 reasons why it's not that big of a deal. When we encounter the mercy of God, it's the covering combined with the said covenant to working together, what we have is a new outworking of how it's expressed in the way that we respond to our own sin. Is that we don't have to, now we don't have to minimize it. We can actually confess it. We can actually confess it before God, confess it before people, and, and, and step into the space of receiving that we're, in our confession, every time that we confess, we're resisting the ability to hide and we're choosing in this moment of confession, I will not cover, I will be covered by mercy. You see, in physics, there's something called sympathetic resonance. It's when two things are in tune. The one that is in tune to the other responds. When it comes to, I'm not a musician, I do not play guitar. I've never even held a guitar. But I discovered that a C tuning fork, when you hold it next to a guitar where one of the strings has already been tuned to C, just the presence of that C tuning fork will cause that string to vibrate. You just get it around, and it begins, it begins to respond to what it's tuned to. You see, what mercy does is it retunes us. It, that, that this man is being retuned by mercy through the covenant has said of God. He, these two working together, he is retuning. He's going, no, 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 no. Now I, am, I have been hiding. I have been marked by mercy. God, cleanse me. I want to confess. God, give me a new heart. And then what we find is that he says, oh, I want the joy of my salvation. It's the tuning fork. It's, it's sympathetic resonance. Is that he's tuned to something new. And there's something new that is beginning to come out of this man, of his heart, of his soul. He, he realizes that the reason that he sinned was not because of an anger problem or a, a lust problem. It was a lack of joy problem. That when we lose the joy of our salvation, when we lose that joy, when we lose that amazement, when we lose that, that, that passion for the king and what he's done, when we lose an, an, an awareness of his presence, an amazement of his people, when we lose the joy of our salvation, we begin to, to look around and see the women bathing. When you lose that joy, the fog enters. When the fog enters, it's only a matter of time before your heart begins to, to go to spaces where you begin to hide. It's a joy. It's sympathetic resonance. It is now. He's retuned. He's going, no, no, no. Restore this joy. If I've got your joy, I've got life. If I've got your joy, I've got freedom. If I've got your joy, if I'm staying in line with this joy, man, that is, that is my lifeblood. He says, teach trans let me teach trans transgressors your ways. 
I mean, this is, the, this is one man tuned to mercy. Now he's going, I've got pain, but God, will you use the pain for a purpose? I don't want to hide the pain. In fact, you know what? What's, what's amazing? This was a song sung by the choir. The whole audience of Israel would sing about him in his greatest moment of failure. And he's going, God, use it. Use the pain. Will you use it? Open up my lips and I will declare your praise. I mean, he's saying, God, remove any obstacles. If there's anything that is blocking me, I want you to remove it. You see, in, in the Old Testament, whenever there was a collision between mercy and judgment, there was always a sign that followed, like the ark rainbow. It's amazing about this moment with David's life. Mercy and judgment collide in David's life. Well, what's the sign? Romans 3, 25. God put Christ forward as a mercy, as a um, propitiation. This was, this was their way of saying the mercy seat. God put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had same words that I just read when it comes to David. He passed over former sins. You see, what Jesus does is that Jesus becomes the commitment to cover. He, he, wants, he wants to lead us out of hiding into having the joy of our salvation. See, what's amazing about Keisha Thomas, you, you, you can put that slide back up. What's amazing about this story, I'll close with this, is that the man that she covered never spoke to her again. Ran away. Didn't even acknowledge it. Her son, or I'm sorry, his son, years later, chased Keisha Johnson down. Broken, crying apologizing, touched by the covering that she had of his father. You see, we can respond to this covering one of two ways. We can turn away from it or we can rush to it. Just because you have this beautiful sacrifice of Jesus and his commitment to cover doesn't mean that that leads us to a place of saying, restore to me the joy of my salvation. My prayer during this fast is that God would lead us into a place of repentance and ownership and amazement and surrender that we acknowledge our own hiding. We acknowledge where, where we've done that. That we, that we, we re, reset, reestablish in our own heart a new commitment to going, God, I want to be your man. I want to be one that runs to and is grabbing onto and is, is so open to your mercy on my life. I love, for, 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 for me with this, with this fast, this psalm has guided me. It's led me into the waters of repentance. It's led me into confession. It's led me into a place of owning my own sin. Led me into a place of, of giving God permission to remove shame, to remove fear. 
just a moment for us to, to respond and, and worship and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, Jesus, you are the true and better mercy seat. You are the fulfillment of what the Old Testament has established, embodied in Jesus. You're the one that, God, that you are, your commitment to us and your said love, it's, it makes, makes me speechless. Even when we face the consequences of our sin, that's still his said love. You love us enough to allow us to face consequences. You're amazing. You're absolutely amazing. And Lord, to know that your loving kindness is embodied in Jesus, Lord, my response is to surrender. It's to surrender. It's to repent. It's to run to mercy. God, where I'm hiding, will you show it to me? God, will you send Nathans into our lives to help us see where we are missing it? God, we want to be those whose heart is latched on to yours. Thank you that we are a people that will, be, will have the joy of our salvation for the rest of our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray.